Hey guys, Dave here. So just a quick warning before we get going. This week's episode is about cannibalism, uh, and it gets a little bit more graphic than usual. So if you're really sensitive to the whole cannibal topic, or if you're just not in the mood, then maybe give this one a pass. friends, and welcome back to the Age of Enfrightenment podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick, one of three magical beings who lives in a damp cave somewhere, deciding the fate of all men, and recording a podcast, evidently. I'm joined by my co-host, my, my one sibling who's sort of like the middle child maternal of the group, Theo. Hello. Oh, my, my bottom is very soggy from being in this damp cave. <laughs> and, of course, our oldest grumpy sibling who is a miserable, disgusting old crone, Dave. I left the cave three years ago and have repeatedly told you guys that you don't have to live in a cave. I couldn't be more clear about this. There is no reason to stay in the cave this long. <laughs> now, see, I think he's lying about there being an outside world besides the cave. It's I mean, he keeps coming back, me. right? Well, I mean, he doesn't go anywhere. He just kind of hides at the foot of the cave and covers his eyes. And I think he thinks that if he can't see us, we can't see him. Kind of like a dog. I just go to the edge of the cave and scream outward at the outside world for about two hours a day. (laughs) There is no outside world. Well, there's something out there, and I'm very upset with it. (laughs) We're hitting on so many many ancient philosophical subjects here right now. I don't know what to do with it. No, we're not. We're talking about a cave. (laughs) Yeah, this episode is about the cave. Welcome back to Cave Talk. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, there is an outside world out there, and it's full of horrific things, like the one that we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> so, uh, one of you guys want to tell us, what, what's the subject of today's podcast? Cannibalism! Yay! Hentai! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I don't know which, which is worse, actually. <laughs> Let's just start talking and let the listener figure out which one is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking about cannibalism, or anthropophagia, which is the fancy Greek word of saying, uh, eating people. So, right off the top, I think we gotta get to the most important question, which is, who would you eat and why? Theo, start us off. Oh, geez. Um, well, I gotta tell you, after a lot of the research that I did for this episode, I don't know if I'm quite on board for eating people. Um, really? That being said, I think I would eat Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess I guess it's not a great answer because it has nothing to do with what the quality of his his meat would be. I'm, I'm sure it's average, but I just... God, I don't fucking like that guy. He seems fairly thin, so I, so you're right. I don't think it's... It's clearly not for nutritional reasons. I don't know. He's getting kind of doughy. I mean, yeah. like he's up there oh. in years, and like I hear he's got a bit of a drinking problem. So I mean, like, what you if know. you, what if you gained his powers after doing that, and just he has no basically be, became Jimmy Fallon? His, okay, his only power is to be really be a good complete... at ruining ruining bits and scenes by laughing too hard. Yeah, his power is being a fucking hack, but still being super popular and a millionaire. God, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> AOE podcast taking a strong stance against Jimmy Fallon. 
You know, I, I've never thought about that before, but for some reason, right when you said, when you asked that, um, the first name that popped up to my mind was Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could so I get just, behind that. I like Russell Crowe, but I just, I, I, I don't know, I picture him being good, and like, I like salty foods and like he seems like he would be kind of salty <laughs> well think like, about I'd... think about like the kind of things that we do eat like a big meaty hearty looking cow something sturdy hmm. that looks like a little weathered yeah. but it's just got like a good shape to it i feel like that's russell crow he's like the now cow imagine that exact same cow but with russell crow's head <laughs> <laughs> yeah no those are those are both solid answers i think who would you eat nick I'm not sure. I, I don't think I thought about it until I asked that. I'd probably eat a kid. Uh, you, can, if, you can eat Russell Crowe <laughs> if you want. <laughs> I mean, there's enough of them. No, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'd probably eat like a... Yeah, I'd eat a kid. Like a, like a plump kid, but like a healthy one. I just feel like, I, I feel like there's a lot going on there nutritionally. I, I, it's, it seems like a parallel to veal, and I'm not a fan of veal. <laughs> well, no, not like a kid that's been, like, trapped inside its whole life. Like a kid who runs around a little bit, but he's just, like, a little, you know, he's just got, like, a little meat on him. That's all. Yeah. I just think if you ate someone old, that meat is just no good. It's, like, spoiled from smoking and drinking. They probably, yeah. If it's a baby boomer, they probably have Because I was thinking like, for a second, maybe Bill Clinton, but, like, he's, he's too old and stringy now. Yeah, like Bill Clinton in like '94. That's, oh yeah, that's, that's good, good eating. eating. Like saxophone, Monica Lewinsky, Bill, Bill Clinton. We're gonna get a call from the Secret Service. <laughs> yeah, and nobody said Trump because I think that would just it would be bad meat. I don't think. I imagine oh he'd taste like spam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could picture that. He'd taste like a Trump steak. He'd be recalled. <laughs> Anyway, let's um, get into the nitty gritty because we're starting with some levity. But I think that we're, we talked a little bit before this about this is a pretty crazy, like dense, dark topic for us to cover. So let's talk about that a little bit. All right. So if if we're going all the way back, well, this isn't all the way back, but this is at least where we get the word from. Uh, there was the island Carib of the Lesser Antilles. They were cannibals to put it bluntly, and their word for people was carbana, but that's eventually what became our English word for cannibalism, and it's because this was a an island of cannibals. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we got our word and understanding of cannibalism, because apparently be- before that, at least the, I believe it was Spain who discovered these islands, uh, they had no word and no understanding of what these people were doing. Yeah, they took it from that, but I think what the Spaniards applied it to, at least from the research that I found, when they finally used it, at least in them, I don't know if they came up with it, but when they used it, it was for natives of the Americas. When they when Columbus came over and when the Spanish started coming over, and they used it more or less as a derogatory term to imply that all of the people there were eating people. Um, ironically, yeah. they weren't, but the Europeans kind of were, which we'll get into probably later. But it was kind of just, Dave, you had brought up a pretty interesting thing about slavery before we started talking. Yeah, Columbus and Queen Isabella, who, you know, were taught about in school, but in reality, they were both monsters, said that any what they called savages, but were really just islanders and indigenous tribes, any indigenous tribe that eats people deserves 
to be put into slavery, and they actually used that as a legal loophole to gather slaves. Right. Um, and, and obviously, you can imagine it happened quite easily that they would just say that one of these indigenous people were practicing cannibalism, and then, you know, what what the hell is the indigenous person supposed to do for their defense? Like, So, yeah, it was basically a loophole used to round up slaves. Right, which is amazing to me in its sheer... The audacity of them to try to take any moral high ground at that point, because it's slavery. Yeah. Like just in general, if you're enslaving people, you're a monster. But that was that was just the European mindset. Was we're so above everything with our classiness that it's cool because they're they must be eating people. Look, they're running around and wearing leaves and yeah, you know. eating people is bad, but <laughs> owning well, people, well, it's okay. <laughs> and and was for like a really long time. Yeah, surprisingly long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of one of the things that I picked up on is what research in this is that like even during times in Europe where cannibalism was clearly not a good thing, there was still this kind of casual cannibalism because human bodies were used in a lot of medicine. And I mean, like, you know, Dark Age, Dark Age Europe isn't exactly known for their forward thinking or people being particularly intelligent. But like some of the things that were used as like remedies is um, skulls were ground into powder and used to treat headaches. Human fat was it was said if you rubbed human fat on wounds, they would heal. And menstrual blood was used for like a couple things, which, you know, well, that's so just hot. <laughs> Um, and like when, when, you know, anthropologists, like ancient anthropologists first started discovering Egyptian tombs and mummies, you know, one of the first things they decided to do was like grind up the mummies and use them for medicine because clearly mummies are going to heal your, the the flu and right. People who have been dead for 20,000 years are clearly full of great, you know, organic material that can but the, the crazy thing that i found is that mummy medicine was used well into like the 20th century and was still oh, yeah. marketed as mummy medicine like you could find ads for like mummy pain pills mummy you know whatever remedies for this or that like that, to me it's insane that they could come right out and say it they didn't have to it wasn't like sort of like horses and glue that old you know thing that they had to kind of hide. It was like right in front of you. Like, oh, this you're going to like this because it's made of mummies. So why wouldn't you buy it? Okay, well, my favorite part of this in Europe, there were mummy pills that were supposed to be ground up mummies in pill form. And although it's being taken in pills, this is still considered cannibalism. <clears throat> Where it becomes really humorous but also awful at the same time. This episode's going to be pretty dark, so buckle in. Um... <laughs> The mummies turned out to just be recently killed slaves. Of course. So it's kind of the equivalent of, like, getting a burger that turns out to be made from horse and not knowing. Um, Right. Well, I mean, like, like, you're going to get a lot of dust out of a single mummy. That's true. But, I mean, there wasn't a ton of mummies to go around. Right. But there were a ton of sick and poor people to go around. Because that's what I think is – and granted, we have hindsight – so I don't want to say it as if, like, everyone was so dumb. But there did need to come to a point where you think, all right, I live in London and I'm able to buy mummy medicine on the cheap. 
that you have to go halfway across the earth at that point to get mummies, whereas there are people just dying in the streets of various diseases over basically every century until the most recent one in cities like London and Paris. So it just kind of stands to reason, like, where they're getting those bodies from. Kind of like shrimp in Las Vegas. Like, it's discounted shrimp in the middle of the desert. Right. It's like, you have to wonder where it's coming from. <laughs> right. right. Just, I mean, it's not to say that it isn't shrimp, but it's definitely not the shrimp that you think you're getting. It's not yeah. ocean shrimp, for sure. Yeah. I, I think there is a lot of interesting stuff about European, uh, the legacy of, of cannibalism in, in Europe, and there's a lot to it. But I think to maybe start to kind of ease people in, we can talk about some of the stuff that people probably think of first so that we can set like that expectation and then talk about some of the lesser known things. So I wanted to talk a little bit about different tribes in Papua New Guinea because it's actually one of the very last areas on earth where you can find practicing cannibals as a societal thing and not as a taboo thing or a murder kind of thing. Um, one in particular were the Korowai people in Indonesian, Indonesian New Guinea. And they have, they're kind of broken up into different tribes that all practice cannibalism for a very specific reason. I read a pretty interesting article in Vice about the first guy who ever made contact with this clan called the Leighton clan. They live upriver of the Nadiram Kabor River, and they're completely cut off. Like, they don't even have contact with other primitive lifestyle kind of tribes who also have contact with real people. So they're, like, every way separated that it can be. He was able to kind of barter his way into their good graces by going upriver, was attacked with spears and they're shooting arrows at them and they're actively trying to kill this guy and his guide. What they ended up doing was sort of like trying to flip over the boat, hide in the river. He thought, well, if I can just float down river, I'll be safe. They won't be able to see me. They ended up more or less being captured. And what actually happened was the tribe offered him to hold a human skull. And it was like a test. Like if he didn't do it, they would kill him because they can't trust him. But if he does it, then the idea would be that maybe he's okay with what they're into and then they'll talk to him. So he did it. Um, he wasn't comfortable doing it because it was clearly someone was freshly killed. Did it anyway. And his guide who spoke their language, who had also been previously sort of in contact with them by they had tricked the guide earlier that year into thinking he was eating human meat. They gave him like like cow meat or something and said and told him it was human meat and he ate it and they're like, "Okay, you're cool." And then told him, "By the way, that's not it's not actual human meat." So that's how these guys got in with it by just kind of proving their worth. What I think is interesting about what they do is they don't just like kill their enemies and eat them. They kill people in their tribe. And they do kill them. It's not like people die and they eat them, which some tribes do. The reason for this is when someone is severely diseased, so they don't have any understanding of germs or things like that that we've only been able to learn because of crossing cultures and studying each other's science. They don't have that. So their belief is that when someone gets really sick and starts to show you know, boils on their skin or they start to have different coughs and things like that, that they've been possessed by an evil spirit called a kakua. And at that point, the person is dead and the kakua has taken over that body. So it's actually seen as an act of revenge to kill the person 
and to eat them because it's a way of expunging the evil spirit from their village. So people who hunt basically their own family members and friends because they believe they've been turned to Kakawa are like the most revered heroes in their village. And they will brag about how many people, how many Kakawa they have killed. This is not too far off from Fiddler and the Wendigo Hunters that we spoke about in an early episode. There was also Native American folklore surrounding cannibalism and the consequences for that. And there were actual Wendigo Hunters that would literally, as an occupation, hunt people that they suspected had become Wendigos, who were very, very well regarded in their society, high-ranking chiefs and such. Right. And I just think it's funny that it's like it's that exact situation, but reversed because it's like the hunters are the one that they go kill the people and then eat them. And it's like that's the noble thing. It's like I'm you're doing someone a service. If Theo was to come down with the flu and I killed him and ate his brain, his family would be grateful to me for probably would be. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> they probably yeah, they're, they're kind of thinking about that anyway but they'll give you yeah, gifts thought, of tobacco and spices <laughs> <laughs> but that that story was just fascinating the guy the guy who contacted them was uh paul Raphael, and i just thought that story was so fascinating because it at least puts into context something that we probably don't assume i think we've because of pop culture and the way that um sort of prehistoric or neolithic lifestyle kinds of tribes we tend to think of them as like warrior clans that go and destroy their enemies and then eat them. And that does exist and has existed, but the ones that survive today have a much more twisted, peaceful way of looking at the practice. That's actually something I found in my research too. And like you said, we got this idea of cannibalism as, I don't know, a means to an end. People eat people because they're hungry. And maybe they're misguided about it, but there's a lot of, I mean, I don't want to say good reasons for eating people because there are none, but less malevolent. Like, (laughs) some of the tribes (laughs) in um, the East Indies that used to practice cannibalism, the ideology behind it was that they didn't want their loved ones to rot and be eaten by worms and bugs and things like that. So, yeah, so they would eat their body as a way of, you know of honoring them, of making sure they didn't, you know, re- yeah. get I know, I saw up. that one, too, and all I thought was, like, all right, okay. Like, I, and, I see well, where you're coming like, from. They're going to become your shit then, but moving, <laughs> like... <laughs> That's yeah, true. You know, when, when I said, well, you guys laughed, but I was serious about that, uh, because there seems to be two forms of cannibalism. There's cannibalism by necessity... And there's ritualistic cannibalism. Now, it sounds like what you guys spoke about was more ritualistic cannibalism. Right. Uh, however, you, you know, here's a, an interesting question that I want to pose. Without overthinking it, uh, like, what is your initial reaction to cannibalism? An erection. Okay, so Ed <laughs> is erection... He and really like, didn't think about that. That's true. Yeah. Um, it's only because he has one. He didn't even hear the question. He just was telling us about his erection. <laughs> I, I will say that as someone who really loves horror and looking into these things, it's something that doesn't actually cross my mind that much in that spectrum. And I don't know if it's because we're not 
confronted with it as much as other things like murder and torture and things like that. Um, but it, my gut reaction is to put it in a place that is very dark and the complete opposite of safety and civilization. But when I think about it, it, it seems strange that that's the way we react because we can watch people being maimed and dismembered in a million ways in the movie theater and then go home and like eat a nice dinner. But there's something about, and I think it's why maybe cannibal movies up with the exception of, of uh, silence of the lambs don't really do that well as like big iconic films, because I, I think they just make people uncomfortable more than scared. And that discomfort is like, is it's almost more powerful. The one big cannibalism movie that I can think of is cannibal Holocaust. And if you've never seen that movie, like it's, it's impressive. It's one of the first like real found footage movies. And we just did a whole big thing about why I like found footage movies and it's pretty well done, but like it's upsetting. Yeah. That's like, that's that, the word upsetting more than scary. I think. Yeah, that's yeah. like watching that movie is like an experience. I feel like in that it's like how much of this can I take? So you watch it and you're like, it's like, yeah, I did that thing instead of like, yeah, that was a great movie because it's just right. a fucking bummer. Yeah, yeah. You you explicitly told me not to watch that Ed, and yeah. I still I took that advice. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I've, I've seen clips, but I've never watched the whole thing for that exact reason. I feel like I can only. It's not even a gross out factor. I can watch gore for days, but it's more of the it's the psychological knowing the conscious decision that people are making to eat other people is so disquieting to me. Yeah, which you know is is interesting. Like I was trying to really. I mean, l- let me start out by saying I'm not pro-cannibalism, <laughs> but, like, I I kept thinking about it last night and was trying to pinpoint why we're so horrified by cannibalism, uh, because it is, you know, we, we, we're very like, oh, that's wrong, that's terrible, and then we eat meat, which I'm not a vegetarian, I eat meat all the time, but it's not terribly unsimilar. Is it something about eating your own kind is it because we're so intelligent so we hold our lives more sacred i was trying to really yeah uh, uh, philosophically understand why exactly because i know it's gross i i kind of wonder if there isn't a good philosophical explanation and it's more of like a biological imperative that's just written into our dna because when you think about it there's a logical natural selection reason why we would be disgusted by eating our own kind and it's just to keep propagating our own species and not cutting down our numbers ourselves so i almost wonder if it's something that we can't wrap our heads around intellectually because similar to incest which is something that kind of makes us all feel kind of icky when we think about it that also has a good biological reason because because like you know biological diversity helps the gene pool so you don't want to procreate with something that you're closely related to yeah i remember a college professor uh because i was a sociology major uh basically said i want everyone to tell me why incest is wrong right and basically like everybody's consensus was like to raise their hand and be like because yuck which (laughs) yeah of course yuck like it's terrible 
but and then like you know someone would be like oh weird children and it was like he had the stat numbers of like actually like there's pretty much no genetic mutation unless it's done rampantly for generation and generations like so that's off the table so what's so terrible about it i know it and it is it's something that i've uh I've been forced to think more about because of Game of Thrones. And if anybody watches that knows that that incest is about just as common as murder and betrayal in that show. And it is one of those things where I fancy myself an open-minded person. And I think, well, objectively, not like removing how I feel about it. Objectively, if two people love each other, they're not even procreating that's not the plan they're just making each other happy and it's consensual why is that still gross because objectively it doesn't seem like it should be and i feel like we're going to talk a little bit about a a case one case in particular of cannibalism that theo and i found where it kind of gets into that murky question of like was this wrong because there was actually consent involved if you can believe it (laughs) So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the weird one really quick and come out against incest. Um, (laughs) So I just like to say that I do not share the same views as my co-hosts and you know their opinions on their sisters. Um, (laughs) Listen, you guys brought it up. I didn't. You fucking deviants. Neither of us. I think we're trying to look at it from a scientific perspective. I I think I can speak for both Nick and I that we're pretty (laughs) anti-incest. Listen, you're backpedaling now, man. Come on. What what I'm trying to get to is... Is your sister and her vagina. (laughs) I understand that. (laughs) Anyways, where I was going before you perverts chimed in with this (laughs) filth is that cannibalism, I think, is such... It goes beyond saying it's a taboo because it's dehumanizing. It's sure. dehumanizing in that when you eat a person, you're taking away their agency. They stop being a person and they start being meat sustenance, basically an animal. Right. Um, and it goes the other way because when you eat a person, you stop being human as well. You become something else, something darker so right like let's think about some of the more popular cannibals in pop culture obviously hannibal lecter um one that comes to mind for me is gareth from the walking dead mm. and like what they have in common is this very methodical and mechanical way that they go about murdering and eating people and like i said it's it takes away your humanity that's something you couldn't come back from from eating a person Yes, but okay, but let's examine it this way. Uh, those are instances, even though they're fictitious, of murderous cannibals. Uh-huh. Right. What about the plane crash that happened about a decade ago with the soccer team in the mountains? That was more than a decade ago. That was like 30 years ago. No, 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 a decade, 30 years, same shit. But, <laughs> like, they ate the bodies of the dead to survive. Yeah, that's right? survival, and they though. were... Yeah, but they were also, they had a real stigma attached to them when they came back. They, they were viewed with a certain level of disgust. Yeah. Where it's like those bodies were already dead and they were doing it for survival. But for some reason, the idea of cannibalism, I don't know if it's because of uh, humanity's religious hangups or what have you, but it seems like this is just 
even in even in the Wendigo uh, folklore, it's even in the most dire situations. If you convert to cannibalism, you will be punished by becoming a Wendigo. It seems to be like this is a hard line in the sand for everyone, and you cannot cross it. And I agree with that. That's very good advice. But why? But where does it come from? Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those rare instances where all of the sort of mythic ways and all of the religious ways that we've come to explain our being have really worked to this day on a positive note with very little backlash. Like, I don't think there has been, as far as I know, any negative effects of it being morally wrong to eat a person. So I think that's why it persists so much, because instinctively on an id level, I think it goes back to that, like, biological imperative, and it allows, and because that's in sync with, like, our ego telling us that it is morally wrong, it's something that stays it's like you said it's a hard line across the board there's no aside from these few tribes that do it for very different reasons it seems like this this cultural thing i have no idea why you're laughing right now wait something just occurred to me ed so were you just living in a world where nick and i were arguing the philosophic the philosophical (laughs) upswing of murdering and eating somebody (laughs) were you just living in a world where nick and i were cool with that Listen, man, I'm not here to judge. I'm just trying to make a fucking podcast. So you were just sitting here under the assumption that Nick and I were like, it's not, we can't figure out a real moral reason why it's I don't bad know why I'm to not kill to eat and eat somebody. <laughs> I think, I think we I'm need not, to get back listen, on track. Listen, I know you guys, I know you're good people. You're just misguided. <laughs> I think we need to get back on track with some cases because yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's this get, is one of those things where we it. can talk about the why is it like this psychology of it forever. But I think what's really interesting is the different ways that it is manifest. Yeah. Um, so another one that I found that I know we all have stuff on, and this is also from the Papua New Guinea region, is a, a tribe that had contracted a mysterious disease in the 1950s. And this researcher, yeah. this anthropologist, Shirley Lindenbaum, uh, went and studied them over the course of a year or so. And she had sort of her theories. And one of them uh, was, was cannibalism as to why these people were getting sick. And what it led to was finding out about a disease that no one had ever seen before. And since then, it's actually become a pretty huge scientific breakthrough. And it's, it's because of these things called prions, which are basically like a twisted non-living protein that sort of like Jekyll and hides itself and starts to infect all of the other protein in your body to kind of basically turn rogue. The people in the tribe, though, they called it Kuru, uh, which is which means shivering or trembling, because that was one of the earliest yeah. effects before loss of limb control and ultimately death. Yeah, they couldn't at first figure out what was wrong with these villagers, especially the the women and the children were having seizures and continuously shaking, like not super unlike Parkinson's, but it didn't match the the MO of that particular disease. And they realized that it was from this specific protein, which you only really get from eating human brains. Now, the reason this was affecting mostly the women and children is they were getting the less desirable parts of the kill, 
the the male tribesmen would get the arms and the legs and much of the soft tissue and a lot of the children and the women were left with uh you know certain organs that normally would not be eaten and the brain it, they were getting much higher doses of these proteins that were making them sick and giving them the kuru virus uh but i mean this was a full tribe that was affected uh, horribly by cannibalism yeah i actually it's interesting too because and there might have been multiple there there probably were multiple tribes but at least i know the ones that i read about also the women and children were a tribe called the four and part of it too was that and this it could be conflicting information but at least the article that i had read from i think a year ago said that the funerary ritual the ritual side of eating the dead um, partly was done the, the the brain was eaten by the woman because there is a dangerous spirit that will accompany a corpse and only a woman's body is capable of containing that spirit because they would cook it it would be like a ritual meal they would cook the brain in like a bamboo shoot and mix it with veggies and they would kind of give little pieces to the kids which is why the kids were getting sick now all of that could be chalked up to the men saying, we don't want to eat the brains, so you have to eat it because only your body can contain the dangerous spirit. There might be a rationalization there. But I thought it was interesting that once again, there's this like ritual side of it that just happened to lead to a very specific kind of tragedy for the women and children in particular. What the Kuru does is makes the brain spongy, which essentially means it puts holes in the brain and like... Yeah tunnels start forming and along with the tremors and the shaking they start the next phase in the the sickness is they start losing control of their emotions so they'll laugh uncontrollably or cry uncontrollably this can go on for months and some cases even years and i gotta say like of all the shit that we've looked into (laughs) for this podcast Reading about Kuru is the thing that has really, like, unnerved me the most. And, like, you can see videos of, like, the tribes, the four people that you were talking about. And, like, it's just, like, you see them just, like, shaking and have these, like, terrified looks on their faces. And they just start laughing. And it's it's messed up. Yeah, I got to say, when I was doing research for this episode, uh, my fiancé kept being like, are you okay? Like, she thought I was having, like, a depression bout. I was like, no, I'm just... I'm researching cannibalism. <laughs> like, I'm bummed out. And it's because I was watching those videos. And in our cannibalism research, the thing that probably horrified us the most was this disease. Because it's just so... Because you're right, that the emotional thing has even led people to call it the laughing death, which just alone sounds like the worst thing you could possibly catch. And Joker guess. The, the, scientific side, <laughs> the scientific side of it is pretty fascinating. The one quote that I have that I'll just read a piece of because I think it sums it up pretty well. Um, it's a twisted protein capable of performing the microscopic equivalent of a Jedi mind trick, compelling normal proteins on the surface of nerve cells in the brain to contort just like them. The so-called uh, prions or proteinaceous infectious particles would eventually misfold enough proteins to kill pockets of nerve cells. And that's what that Theo was talking about with that spongy brain. That's from an NPR article that I'll post up on the website. But the fact that they were able to find this all comes down to this cannibalism in this tribe. And they've actually since then been able to find it 
things not not quite like Kuru, but they've been able to study similar diseases better because of what they learned through the Kuru case a half century ago. Yeah, I think we're just not used to having discoveries like this in the 20th century, late 20th century, that is. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of shocking. In ritualistic cannibalism, there is endocannibalism and exocannibalism. Endocannibalism is what these guys were practicing, which is eating people of your own tribe. And it's usually, as mentioned, it's part of the grieving process. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's important to note that, like, these are not, these tribes are not monsters. Like, this is their tradition. They eat the dead as part of the grieving process. This isn't a satanic cult as much as, like something like Hollywood or the media would jump all over this. Um, these people had no notion in their mind that they were doing anything bad. And it's just as a result of it, this horrific, terrifying disease uh, started popping up, you know? Yeah. So you can, there are people who have a genetic immunity to kuru and scientists think that's because it's a genetic holdover from the old old days of humanity where cannibalism was a little bit more popular so there are some people where the 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 pions just don't affect them now that Hmm. being said i still don't think that you guys should eat people (laughs) <laughs> no, well, look, you're I'm really not trying to stop us here, and I just don't. I don't get it. I mean, it. you might have the immunity, but you're tempting fate. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we can eat somebody. We just can't eat their brain. <laughs> well, that's actually the the um, the kuru gets into all parts of the body. So yeah. when you eat human meat, you're running the risk of getting the kuru because it's still in like the musculature and the other organs it's just the most prevalent in the brain and the spine like that's where it's produced in the body so you can still get it all right but i'm willing to roll those dice (laughs) it's really interesting to me that this thing exists that has a very specific way for you to contract it it's not it's it's not a sexually transmitted disease you can't get it by like transfusing blood it's specifically ingesting it almost like it almost makes me think of alien about how there's like this very when you especially when you get like deep into the life cycle of a xenomorph it's almost like it's so weird that this thing would develop to only get you in this one specific way it's like it's it's bizarre that it's not just something that happens in the air like we think of diseases in the terms of germs all the time, things that we have to wash our hands for and stuff. It's just amazing to me that in the world, this thing exists. You know, it's one of those things that if we were living, you know, a thousand years ago, we would say that it was a punishment from, from God or the gods to say like, well, you did the one wrong thing you weren't supposed to do, which was eat somebody and you contracted the, the ultimate punishment for it. It's pretty amazing that it works that way. The ancient Greeks and Romans, which, you know, we can't go one episode without talking about, (laughs) they had a form of medicine called humorism. And they felt that through their science, which, again, this is going to sound so weird because it's like pseudoscientific and does use parts of the body. Is humorism that humor is the best medicine? Yes, yes, that's (laughs) what it is. But what it also means is according to humorism there was basically a crook in the ventricle that built up gook and made people have a desire to eat humans 
So this was a long-standing belief in the Greek and Roman empires. They actually, they were so put off by cannibalism that they tried to say, like, make it a physical ailment almost. It was mm-hmm. like, all right, well, there's some gook in your left ventricle, and that's why you're... You just got to get that you, shit you out of there. can't stop eating people. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one explanation for cannibalism that the Romans and the Greeks came up with, which I found interesting. Right. Um, and 100% true. So yeah, one hundred percent true. Now, gook in your ventricle is right. just a heart attack. Right, like my um, dad has a stent in his heart, and that's why he doesn't eat people anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My dad got a pacemaker, and then he stopped eating people. <laughs> now, that's my really... dad has been eating people, <laughs> but hasn't been to a cardiologist in a while. Yeah. Okay, so, he so... should probably go to a cardiologist then. Okay. So if you're worried about right. cannibalism, get your ticker checked, everybody. But he's got to go to an ancient Greek <laughs> doctor. <laughs> he has to go to some soothsayer in like a dark cave somewhere. So I, I want to talk about two things. Um, we're going to jump back to Africa. And then, for the love of God, let's get off Africa because lots of white people like to eat white people, too. Oh, they sure do. Um, but there is, I thought you guys would like this, there, had, did you guys come across the Leopard Society at all? No. No. Okay, so Leopard Society was a society in early to mid 20th century. It was a secret society that practiced cannibalism. And what they would do is dress up like leopards and put on homemade claws. And they would basically waylay travelers and ritualistically eat them. Now, this is supposed to be... They're not too far off from, like, the Crocodile Society. There's a Crocodile Society, too? Yeah, yeah. Shit, I'm not in any societies. In Australia. (laughs) Probably. um, Yeah, probably Australia. (laughs) No, the Australian one's going to be the Dingo Society. Stupid. The victim's flesh would be cut from their bodies and distributed to members of the secret society. According to the beliefs, the ritual cannibalism would strengthen both members of the secret society as well as the entire tribe. Wow. Now, this this leopard society has been noted by some scholars. The only disclaimer I'm going to make is, you know, some of the references in this are being pulled from what I would personally consider less credible sources. However, Infowars. This, this sounds <laughs> this sounds too ridiculous uh, to be true, but apparently it is a truth. It's there are aspects of it like it's been used in fiction in the Leopard Society a few times, but apparently it stems from a real society that were practicing ritualistic murderous cannibalism all the way up until the mid twentieth century. And this was in West Africa. Wow. I'm going to start uh, the Mouse Society, where we don't eat people but fancy cheeses. <laughs> <laughs> they already have a lot of those. I think you could just go join, like, an eating club at a university. Yeah. They can... might eat people, too. Probably the, the waspier ones are probably eating people, if I had to guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing I want to talk about is how long cannibalism has been around for. And very specifically... Uh, it wouldn't be me if I didn't have something about a cave. <laughs> there, there in Somerset, England, uh, specifically Cheddar, Somerset, England, there is something called Grove's Cave, which th- this is going to sound 
wacky as shit, but bear with me. This is a very well-documented thing that you can look up. So they found bones in this cave that have tool marks on them, and there was very clear signs of basically people being, like, field-dressed in this Mm -hmm. cave, like, skinned and eaten, that date back to 7,150 B.C. Now, where this gets kind of wacky, they they later found more bones that also showed very similar tool markings that were over 13,000 years old. Then, I was going to say, I can beat you. I'm looking at the numbers I have written down, but keep going. <laughs> later, they found bones with the same tool markings from 14,700 years ago, as well as skulls that were turned into drinking glasses. So I found this immediately fascinating. This seems to just be the cave where you go to ritualistically eat a fella. <laughs> yeah, um, no, matter, no matter what time it is. <laughs> and I... You know, I just want to hear your thoughts on this because this struck me as like, holy shit, there's a very specific cave that for thousands of years in history, people were bringing other people to to ritualistically kill and eat. Right. It's not that surprising to me that it it goes back that far because, like, I feel like the second God crapped out a second caveman, the first <laughs> caveman looked at him and said, You look delicious. You know, he, he thought, well, he probably thought, one, I want to fuck that. And then two, maybe I should eat it. And probably went around in that fashion for a while and then realized that, okay, we probably shouldn't eat people. So while that would be one of the first thoughts of early man, not eating people was probably the immediate thought afterwards. So yeah, the fact that there's right. a space specifically for that well, makes and sense. That's, that's what's really interesting to me because – and that's Homo sapiens – um, Neanderthals were doing this too. I, there's a cave called the Mula Guersi cave in France from a hundred thousand years ago where Neanderthal bones were, there were six, uh, victims, bones were broken with tools to extract marrow. Um, and there were signs of like, uh, rough, like hatch marks in their skulls that would suggest that their tongues were cut out. But there are a few of those with the Neanderthals that seem like isolated cases of essentially hunting people which is pretty dark in and of itself. But what I think is fascinating about this cave that you talked about, Dave, is like this, you're right, there's clearly something about this place and the carved skulls for drinking out of, that speaks to ritual more than hunting. So yeah. what is it about that place that is, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that myth is, is made out of, this idea that there's this like dark pole that just makes you come in there, kill people. and Maybe a Wendigo lives there. Maybe. Yeah, but that's an old ass Wendigo from from <laughs> old ass honky fourteen thousand seven hundred years ago all the way up to seven thousand one fifty BC. That is well, a well, Wendigos <laughs> existed before the word Wendigo was made. Okay, theoretically, all yeah, right, they fine. used to be called Wendy Go Go's. <laughs> right, I'm going to take that out. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so what what I think is interesting is we're talking about that ancient idea of how old one thing that that I came across that was pretty fascinating is that in the fossil record there there's a little bit of evidence of cannibalism in in prehistoric areas um in in prehistoric caves and places like that like we discussed cases were very rare for eons 
when they started to jump up in a big way was more around the time of like the 11th, 10th and 11th centuries when people are living in cities. And I can only wonder if it's just the fact that that's what happens when you get about a million people in one place and they can't take care of their health. They can't live in safe places because all of the sudden in like 11th century English markets during the famine, you'd have people who are actually selling human meat out in the market street. And this isn't, you know, like in a, in a Lord's palace or something, it would be down on the street level where people are starving. But this became all of a sudden very prevalent in different parts of Europe where I don't know if it was accepted. It probably wasn't, but it was at least something people were doing under the table just to, I guess, survive. Oh, yeah. This this popped up during pretty much every major war. Uh, cannibalism yeah. popped up on both sides. The uh, Nazis ate the Soviets. The Soviets ate the Nazis. Um there were instances of the Japanese uh, eating American prisoners, you know, and then any time there was a famine and, you know, you, you cited a early modern example. But I mean, going all the way up to the modern era uh, during the famine in Ukraine, uh, that is 1921, there were people openly selling human meats of yeah, their when, children. When Stalin was purposely starving out the Ukraine. Right. Yeah. And, and what That's I wild. what gets me about that is that after all that happened, thousands of people were arrested for cannibalism. Yeah. But at the same time, they weren't Stalin <laughs> took all their food. So it's like, what, what the fuck are they, else are they going to do? Yeah, yeah. It's it seems like because you know even just going through the Wikipedia page, it's very easy to immediately establish a pattern that more or less whenever things get really rough uh, on humanity in general, whether it's war or famine, people are going to start to turn to cannibalism as a food source. It's usually, unfortunately, a last resort, but it it happens. Uh, yeah, for... in um, in 1098, during the First Crusade, there was a very famous battle for a, a stronghold called Mara, where the English Christian soldiers came in, and there was a lot of accounts of them eating the Muslim soldiers that were inside. And some people have claimed that it was actually a fear tactic, which is like, whoa, that's heavy. Um, but it's probably more likely that, <clears throat> exactly like Dave was talking about, you bring thousands of people to a land far from their home. You only have a limited number of rations. You get there thinking, well, we'll get there and we'll just eat whatever they have. But they've been hauled up inside trying to defend against you. So maybe they don't maybe they're running out of food. You get in there and there's literally nothing to eat but the people you were just killing. So it is this it goes back to what Theo was saying about losing our humanity when we get people into situations where there's nothing but stress and the promise of death around every corner, that's when you lose your humanity. Oh, yeah. I mean, even jumping to World War II in, in 1942, the Japanese in certain areas of New Guinea, their ration started out at 800 grams of rice a day and tinned meat. By December, so that's not a long period of time, it had just fallen to 50 grams of rice a day. Mm. And this is the exact moment when suddenly 
cannibalism started popping up all over their army, it seems like pushing a group of people, or even in some cases individual people, far enough to their breaking point will result in something of like a fight or flight method. In this case, flight being death, uh, or the fight being to become pretty fucking dark. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's think about the the opposite of this. So we're talking about olden times where people were forced into situations where they either died or they ate another person. Let's flip that around. Let's bring that up to modern times where people aren't so hard on luck. So we're going to flash forward to the futuristic year of 2001. Yay. <laughs> and we're going to go to a little town called Rottenburg, Germany. Yeah, this this case is like mind-boggling to me. Just from like a true crime, like police procedural perspective, this is fascinating to me. Yeah, why don't you why don't you spin us a yarn, Nick? Yeah, so so in 2001 this German man named Armin Mewes or Muse, not really up on my German. Um he was a North German man. He put out an online ad that was sort of in a lot of ways similar to any sort of you know, shady Craigslist ad you might have put up in 2001, basically, uh, soliciting sex. But what he said very explicitly in that ad was that the person who was going, who he wanted to meet would have to agree to be killed and eaten by Armin. Now, you would think that this would just sit there for a long time. It would become sort of this crazy story that, you know, your friends share with each other. But somebody answered. Uh, a man named Bernd Brandes, uh, he was an engineer in Berlin, so not just some like crazy guy living on the street, somebody who was doing, I would imagine, fairly well for himself. He agreed, and he went to go meet him, and the police found proof, video proof, because Armin had taped it, of the man not only being killed and eaten, but consenting to it first. So he came, he agreed, he was cooked up and eaten what's fascinating about this is the legal side of it because at that time and i don't know if they still have it at, at all but there are no actual laws on the german books that say that cannibalism is illegal now that's not because they were okay with it it was because up until that point basically murder would suffice but they, the prosecutors in this case found themselves in a very sticky situation because they had video proof that the victim had agreed to it. And what they kind of came up to was what they kind of came up with was at most they could maybe give him a charge on assisted suicide, which is illegal. But it's a much lower sentence than murder. So this guy was charged with like eight years. And of course, everyone in Germany was like, that's insane. He's a cannibal. You can't ever let him out. So there was this huge sort of media frenzy about it in Germany where people were like, we have to do so. We can't just let this guy out because, because of some legal loophole, which I would imagine a lot of countries, maybe even ours, has. Because you don't think to make cannibalism illegal. And what they ended up having to do was get him on charges of, of a sexual nature. It was more about like deviant, violent sexual behavior, which would be a higher charge than... Um, then assisted suicide and they were able to put him away for longer and he's probably gonna die in prison at this point he's still in prison but 
it's just so bizarre to me to think that they went, oh, we got to throw the book at this guy. And then they looked at the book and went, oh, we don't, we can't really hold him on anything. He didn't, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, if you're, that's... if you're really squeamish, you know, maybe like fast forward a couple minutes. Cause I'm going to describe like what happened. Yeah. So like there's like Nick said, there's video of this because when Burns got to Armin's house, like they made this like friendly video, like, hey, we met up. We're going to do this thing. We're so German. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those videos that you're never, ever, 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 ever going to be able to see because like it's locked away in some German legal dungeon. Probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I want to see it, but like no. you can find descriptions of it. So what happened was Burns like downed a bottle of sleeping pills and like a bottle of liquor and so he was clearly gonna die and while he was starting to like nod off armin cut off his dick and starts cooking it and like they they try to eat some of it he gives some to burn so burns like eats his own dick and it's like too chewy so he spits it out and like eventually he dies because he's bleeding and probably the bottle of sleeping pills that he took, too. So Nick's saying that, like, they busted him on because it was, like, some, like a sexual crime. That's, that's absolutely right. So the website that Armand posted on initially was called Cannibal Cafe, which means that there was a place where this kind of shit was talked about. So obviously, like, not a lot of people were really into the the idea of doing it in person because nobody really wants to die clearly burned wasn't in the right mental space but it's it was treated as a a, a, a fetish a fantasy thing which is just i don't want to say fascinating because that makes it seem like you know kind of glorified but just like right. I, I can't wrap my mind around it so and like a lot of the research like i and I wish I didn't, but, like, I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of, like, cannibalism fetish and, like, Jesus Christ, it's weird. And a lot of it's just kind of, like, role play where people talk about, like, eating each other and shit like that. And it's, it's like, a domination thing, I guess. Sure. Yeah, and I guess it goes back to that idea of we do live in a very not anything goes. We still have a lot of hangups about a lot of things, but we do live in a society where so much has been deemed permissible. The fact that that one never will be, hopefully it must just be the place that people eventually get to. If they're looking for their next new kink, it's, I guess it's just one of those things. There's, there's over 7 billion people on the planet. It's just statistically accurate to say that some people are going to be into this, but it is kind of hard to, to wrap my brain about harder still to imagine someone actually doing it. Yeah. But, but that I, I, I kind of wonder was if it was a wake up call to anybody who maybe went on these forums, like to role play and thought of it, not dissimilar to like being a furry where it's like, Oh, I'd never actually bang an animal, but you know, I wonder if any of those people watched the video when he posted it and just thought this is, too far. This isn't what yeah, I was thinking. This isn't what I was too picturing. Much. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the uh, academia is yet to and very reluctant to put cannibalism in the DSM. Uh, just What's because that? they 
Uh, it's the diagnostic manual. It's basically the big book of mental diseases. Oh, cool. Um, it's what uh, psychiatrists and people in the medical field work off of. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's many uh, iterations of it. I think they're up to the DSMV-5. But there's... They almost, as of now are very hesitant if not outward refusing to even consider putting cannibalism in the dsm Mm. because they're saying it's not a mental disease of any kind wanting to eat somebody it seems to us right now just sitting here talking about it like oh yeah this people are fucking crazy but when you look back to the ritualistic versus necessity cannibalism you can see where it becomes more of a gray area where it's like, okay, well, does that mean that somebody who eats somebody when they're starving and that person has already died, do they have a mental disease or are they just surviving? The people who practice ritualistic cannibalism, do they have a mental disease or is that just part of their culture? Is that more of a uh, sociological anthropology instance? Right. Um, so, you, you know, it is not a mental disease, but in this case it's really kind of blurring the line with these guys, whether it is a fetish or some kind of, it's, it's basically when does the sexual fetish turn into a sexual dysfunction? Right. Um, In this case, that seems to be the case. Yeah. um, Because someone died. (laughs) Yeah. And it is one of those things. And I wonder if it will ever be its own psychological disorder because most cases, modern cases, um, that have happened have the people, the, the killers have been diagnosed as schizophrenic, um, you know, different varying things uh, of other disorders that, and we got a serial killer episode coming down the pipeline. So we'll dive right into that. We'll get to that. But I, I do wonder, is it ever going to get to a point where the person isn't any of those things, but they, they they're forced to categorize it as its own thing. It's, it's it's amazing, I guess, like Dave was saying, it's not in there yet as one that's known and talked about. I think it just speaks to what a taboo it is that we don't, even psychologists and sociologists don't quite know where to place it yet. They don't know quite what to do with cannibalism. I think there's a chance that eventually it will find its way in there because more and more stuff gets added and removed from the DSM all the time. Right. Uh, however, I think it's going to be in there under very, very specific circumstances. And they're actually just like something like insomnia. Insomnia is not in the DSM because insomnia is not a mental disease. Insomnia is a byproduct of another type of mental disease. Right. I think that cannibalism at some point will be in that same category. It's never going to be like the right. the mental illness of cannibalism. It's going to be like, oh, some type of borderline personality disorder that results in more cannibalistic urges. Because sure. the DSM is not like a, uh, this is how you fix it. It is a classification index of various traits of mental illness. So I think that cannibalism will appear in there at some point, but not as its own disease, but more as a side effect of a different type of disease. Here's a question, and I feel like I already know your answers because you're both fucking all about cannibalism and eating people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you ever think that there's going to be a point where it becomes – 
I guess, acceptable. Now, like, let's think, like, 40, 50 years ago, being gay was not okay in, like, the grand scheme of things. And, I mean, obviously, with hindsight, we can say, well, that's ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way you're born. But at the time, I mean, I feel like a lot of people who were very anti-homosexuals weren't at, weren't thinking in a very... To them, I don't think it was backwards. To them, I think it was like these people are doing something that's like morally wrong and felt that they were deviants. So with time, it became more acceptable. And now, like I said, we could look back at it and say, well, like, of course, there's nothing wrong with being gay. Do you think cannibalism would ever get to that point? Like where if somebody could like donate their body, like cruelty free human meat. Right. So almost so it kind of reminds me of different interpretations that we've seen in pop culture of vampires like true blood kind of had the aspect where certain people would willingly let themselves be drained just enough to a vampire. And it was like, well, it's consent. Like, why is it? It seems maybe it's possible that that sort of, like you said, that voluntary sort of thing, maybe the only reason why I feel like probably not is it seems that the overall trend of progression and of progressive thinking is to preserve life and that lives are equal and not one above the other. That would be the only thing that I could think would stop us from ever crossing that line. Okay, and I'm not, I I swear I'm not trying to high road you because I know that we're all LGBTQ friendly. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm not trying to say that, you know, being gay and eating people are on the same, you know, the same wavelength. I'm just using it as a jumping off point. You, you know what it is? Um, so, something like homosexuality, which, by the way, homosexuality up until the second to last DSM was, was in, in the there. DSM. Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Uh, and now the reason the two don't seem super comparable to me is one is a choice and one isn't. So the act of cannibalism, it seems like, especially in the modern era, there's it's going to have to be it's unless it's a matter of necessity i i'm i'm actually in a way hoping that um i i there's a chance that eventually we will drop the stigma of the starving person after like a plane crash or a boat crash or something eating somebody there's a chance we might let that stigma go and that might not be a terrible thing. Uh, it might be, you know, as long as they didn't kill the person, if they ate a corpse or something to survive, at some point we might loosen up our grip and be like, you know what, they they did what they had to do. Right. It makes us uncomfortable, but they did what they had to do. I don't know, at least I can't fathom right now, a world where it's just like you uh, go to the store and grab some chicken and some Fritos and some person and, like, just in vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's it's hard for me to picture, but I could be wrong. God knows I've been yeah, wrong it is, enough. It is an interesting mental challenge, but I do, I do just kind of wonder. I, I would almost see it more likely, and I don't think this is any time soon. I mean, we're all omnivores here. I would almost think it more likely that we go in the other direction where a hundred, you know, or let's say less like 2000 years from now, nobody's eating meat of any kind. That almost seems more likely than it going the other way and opening up the spectrum of what's okay to eat. 
But I could be, I mean, as we know from history, we could be completely wrong about this one way or the other. Oh, yeah. I, Two weeks from now, we could all be eating people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I agree with you guys. I don't think that's something that's ever going to be, like, acceptable right. by society right. standards. Because that's just, it's just fucked up. I mean, that's what it comes back to is, like, all the philosophical arguments aside, it's just fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, so that, this has been a great episode. We touched on cannibalism, <laughs> incest. Um, I didn't touch on disease. incest. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're just using it as a thought experiment. We don't. We're very yeah. anti-incest, Edward. We're not into yeah. our sisters. We're into your sister. Hey. Yeah, we were incestual only for your sister, Ed. So it's. I mean, I guess that's a form of incest. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going off the rails. Hey, if yeah. you're still with us right now, holy shit, thanks. Because yeah. uh, I don't Look know what you. you stuck around for. <laughs> Look who had nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this one was really fascinating, and, and it got us back into research mode after our movie episode. So we're all very happy about that because it is the th- one of the things we love the most about this. Um, if you want to reach out to us and tell us your feelings on this, which could go in any direction. <laughs> yeah, I heard the hesitation in your voice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of don't want to elicit too much opinions on this because it could get real dark. Um, Send us some well-worded arguments on why Nick and Dave shouldn't lust after their anyway. sisters. <laughs> <laughs> you can reach us on uh, Facebook. Just look up The Age of Enfrightenment. You can reach us on Twitter. Look up AOE underscore podcast. You can find us on our website, aoepod.com. That's where you might be listening to this. Or maybe you're listening on iTunes right now. If you're not, go on to iTunes, look up The Age of Enfrightenment, subscribe, and you will have us in your feed on your device every two weeks. They're ready to gross you out and make you uncomfortable. Yeah, and uh, rate us on iTunes, please. It really, really helps us if uh, we have a five-star review. It it uh, helps our base grow, and it'll give us better placement on iTunes. So if you got a free second and you enjoy the show, uh, please leave us a review. And again, we're all very LBGTQ-friendly. I don't want to bum anybody out with that. Yeah, everyone except Ed. Nick and I are both really LGBTQ-friendly. Uh, Ed, you know, we're trying to turn Ed around on a bunch of stuff, but like, you know, we'll get there. <laughs> Theo, as people. he just mentioned, is LGBTQC friendly because he is an impassioned case for the future of cannibalism being accepted. In our world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go watch like nine episodes of Futurama to recover <laughs> from this conversation. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone.